Welcome to the Femininja podcast. This series was co-curated and co-hosted with our friends at Who's Knowledge. These episodes were recorded during the Decolonizing the Internet East Africa gathering in Lusaka, Zambia. Welcome everybody to today's podcast. I'm Yulendri Apasami from Who's Knowledge. I'm the communications associate for the Visible Wiki Woman campaign. And with me today, we have Sylvia Kerubo from the African Women's Development and Communications Network. And I'm there as the digital media officer. And our memory Zondeka Chambwa. I'm the executive director for FemNet, African Women's Development and Communication Network. So happy to be in this space. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, memory. <laughs> so Great. let's start off with some broader questions so our listeners could maybe be a bit more familiar with the work you're doing as well as where do you think decolonizing comes into your work at FemNet? So FemNet, as the word says, we are also a communication network and our work is really centered around information sharing. It's around movement building. It's around disrupting um, the colonial agenda. It's about advancing feminist principles and supporting the feminist movement we we have centered our um, our work around power, voice, uh, feminist solidarity, and building an organization with a soul. So when it comes to the whole conversation around um, decolonizing um, the internet, decolonizing the digital space, it's it's actually one of the things that we we really feel. It's important to partner with organizations, with movements like Whose Knowledge, um, Wiki Women projects, and like-minded organizations. To it's it's part of our feminist agenda to say as feminists, we've always talked about how do we start um, dismantling this hegemonic power, this capitalist way. How do we start making sure our voices, African women's voices, African women's stories are told by Africans themselves? Um, they are also documented, you know. We, we, we are almost invisible. Our histories have been erased as, and are dominated by uh, a very patriarchal colonial who is telling our stories. As women, where is my grandmother in her contribution, even from the whole liberation, the whole colonial? No one talks about it, you know. So there's so many layers that need to be dismantled. There's so much power in getting our stories out there. So historically, we've been excluded. Historically, we haven't been the ones who tell the stories. They are told elsewhere. So when we come into the digital space, which is so dominant, we don't see ourselves. There's a particular narrative that is out there. We look for it. We don't get it. So as FemNet, 
our work is to really get the lived realities of women and girls on the continent to be out there, to be heard, um, but for them to also start creating and uh, getting that validation. You know, their stories are valid. Their experience are valid. They need to be heard. They need to be out there. So you were talking about what would your grandmother think about these things? Where is the space for her, you know, if you, if you were to use that as a conceptual tool for the work you're doing? How would you conceive of an internet where your grandmother would feel safe or welcome, right? That's a, that's a very esoteric question, but what kind of internet would that look like? I think that's that's really interesting because when we talk about internet, we we I think we have sort of like defined the internet. Definitely something which has come with the new millennial century, right? But when you think about how my grandmother used to interact, you know how they used to communicate within their communities amongst the family within the communities, within the, the different um, geographic location. That's really the internet. They had an internet, really, because they were communicating. And when imagining how she would have loved it to be safe, I think it would be where it's really accessible where she is, you know, if she is wherever she is located, right? She has access to it you know, she can use it and not be, not be, no, there's no bias, you know, there's no profiling, there's no one feeding with algorithms of what, because she, you know, maybe she looked for something and then that's all that's coming. It's not bombarding her, but it's giving her the leeway, the freedom, the expression. No, there's no, Troiling that violence is not there, but it's it's a way of a means to get information, to input information, and a way to reach out and to express who she is um, with the different communities, you know, even across the continent. You know, I, I think I would imagine this whole internet that. She can't wait to eagerly go there and start doing the whole storytelling. I think we grew up um, having what we had, what we used to call every like good night, bad night stories. So bad night stories were not invented, the whole Cinderella, Rapunzel, that Western, but we had them also. Would gather around the fire at night, would hear amazing fictitious stories, you know, um, stories, romantic stories, stories of adventure. So that's, that's, that's the internet there, right? Because it was being passed down, being passed down in a way which was affirming, in a way which also uh, allowed the expression of dance, the expression of lots of forms, poetics, so we have that, you know, but that has not been captured in a way where it's, it's acknowledged as a knowledge, you know, but we had it. So it's been erased. And what my children really consume and 
what they are getting um, online are things which hardly cannot even connect. They cannot connect to, we had stories of, uh, I'll say it in my language, Surona Gudo, because I was like the, that, and that's the, the hair and the monkey. So they were the main characters in our storytelling, you know, so they would do all these notorious, think of, we had Tom and Cherry stories, you know, incredible, really fun, and every other form we had it, but it's not there. It's, it's like it didn't exist. And what we get fed is really something that um, a bunch of people are out there who have the resources, who have captured, who have colonized, and they want us to think, they want even our generation to think in a certain way, to visualize um, the world in a certain way. And I think this is where there's so much disconnect in terms of what is being fed is not connecting with the realities of us on the continent. And we're still for us feminists to say, how do you then connect? That's the world there. Very capitalist, very extractive, having no space for you just to be, you know, no self-care in it, no, no switching off. It's a fast paced because there's an algorithm that is not human, which is feeding into you, into your consciousness. But our way of being, you know, our way of being, I think our rootedness is much more caring. It's much more slower. It's much more intentional. You know, it's much more human. And I think there's been that diversion. So back to your question, which was like, what? is happening now and why it's so important to bring that back in, but to even acknowledge that it existed. And for me, when we look at everything that is really happening, even with the crisis, you know, how is our digital way of being ecologically balanced with our way, with our environment? So there's so many things that... I feel this is the time when we talk of the bigger decolonizing agenda of the internet and feminists leading in that because as feminists, we have always seen where is the disconnect, where is the power lying, why we need to dismantle this because we, we, we have our feminist eyeglasses and lens which look at all these sources of power that wants to dominate you know, our way of thinking, our way of being. And that whole system is really built on this neo-colonial, patriarchal, you can say all the words, uh, heteronormative, misogynistic power there. And so when we start dismantling everything, um, it's because that has been our fight. So we know our tools are able to see way ahead. And for me, I'm, I'm, this is why I'm like, yes, the decolonial agenda is an agenda which the feminists have really been leading on. The feminists have really, um, it, it's, it's been part of our struggle. 
and still continues to be our struggle. So even if it's in the digital space, in the economic, in the social space, in the psychological space, that's our agenda as feminists. Um, I'm, I'm really happy, like you've mentioned, the, uh, you know, you've taken us through a history of growing up, you know, our grandmothers, our mothers. And I'm just curious to know for you, uh, you know, as memory, do you have a personal experience or a story where you feel like you experienced a colonized internet? Oh, wow. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit. Um, so I, I'm a natural scientist. I studied natural science. And when I was in uni, it was just the onset of cell phones. And I remember we, I think we had like a computer lab with maybe 10 or so or 15 computers. So you'd have a computer lesson where you'd be shown how to be on email. Um, there. So that's, that's the era where, you know, we were starting to, of course, there was the whole computer science, computer engineering um, but for other departments, um, internet and access was very limited. Maybe two or three people would have cell phones. So that's the era. Just the beginning of 2000, that's when I was in college. So, <laughs> <laughs> But just to, uh, so, um, so one of the things that really struck me is I was studying geology. One of my majors was geology. And I was interested in remote sensing which had just, you know, it was just a course, but I was so much interested in it. So I pursued it and it wasn't being offered um, in other, um, it was just like a course, which I just ran, I mean, it wasn't even on something we're being examined for, right? So actually it was um, a graduate student who was doing his, I think, master's in remote senses. So I got so much interest in it. And I then pursued to do ge geographic information systems. So my, my first job really out of college, like my first, first job was with an IT company. Mm -hmm. um, all men, <laughs> all from the engineering department. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I was, I know, I, 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 we I think we're two ladies who came in, but from my stream, it was just me. And I remember we were selling software. So if we're selling geographic information software. So now, you know, now we do all this Google Maps, we just whatever. It was not there before. And it was interesting because we're selling um, software for mines, you know, for, for demining. Um, part of Zimbabwe and Mozambique uh, during the Liberation War had a lot of mines which were put in. So we're we're selling the, the software to detect that, you know. So, you know, that was one of our main projects. But we're also selling a lot of mine, a lot of software for mine, for geological modeling to see what's underground and the like. And then we did the whole training. So I was so fascinated. And I, I remember um, one, one, of the, one of the guys who was um, more like our manager, he, he, he was saying to me, listen, when you go and you want to troubleshoot when someone has a problem, just go into the MS-DOS. So back then there was MS-DOS, which was more like the programming language, very old language. So he said, for you to confuse the client, just go in. You know, you look so sophisticated. Maybe 
the client just needed to restart their printer or something like that. But I marveled at the the whole confidence around it. So every other day, you know, we are creating just little macros. You know, you're just creating new things. You're learning. So I I I enjoyed that. You know, it it was it was just my first sort of like experience, sort of like brush. But then, what I also found out is how that information was not accessible. So in our department, in the geology department, all the um, professors or whatever, they were all white. <laughs> None, and most of them were from Australia, the UK. We even had Russia as well from all these countries. And it was so interesting because they were doing amazing projects. Like they were really doing a whole geological mapping of the country using remote sensing technology. And that information was not even available at our National Geological Survey Center. So where it was being stored, I have no idea. But we were using old information, archived information, but they were way, way, way ahead having knowing exactly what is the uh, what is the what is the deposit. So for me, that was sort of like my first sort of awakening moment. I was like, how is it that the information, first of all, we are not even being taught in terms of getting that information. Our sophistication is going down in the basement, all these old journals. Um, it, we were not even digitally um, astute. So you'd finish college, but you have no digital astute Yet you have a department which is being led by white men, all foreign, all professors, and what they are getting out of the system and out of the country, the surveillance that they have is something which you have no access to. You know, it's only now you're like, oh my goodness, with all this technology which has, they knew already. So they knew where every deposit was. They knew, I mean, they've done, they've done so much more. I mean, so it's this whole linking around the whole extractive nature. So, memory, we were talking about your journey as a natural sciences student and how that kind of feminist techie awakening. And I want to bring it back to our sessions at the DTI East Africa Conference. And where do you think we're at now? And how do you think that compares to where you were at in the mid-2000s working for this geography surveying organization with the software? I think, I think we have gone lips and bounds to even talk about feminist internet principles. I think for me that's amazing, amazing. Just having a collective of Feminists who can really think they could, um, there's need for freedom of the internet, there's need to challenge all this hegemonic, and also to say, hey, stop, whose knowledge are you consuming? <laughs> uh, so for me, I think we've come, wow, a long way. There's definitely been an increase in terms of awareness of how the digital space cannot be a safe space. I think we've seen and we've watched how it has taken over. And with the pandemic, 
I think the pandemic, just coming out of the pandemic, which we have not yet really come out of, it just really shows why it's important to have these conversations. For me, I, you know, just coming from this DTI, it's actually my first decolonizing the internet meeting and actually coming out of this conference is, I'm just thinking, this is what we need. We just don't need it as an isolation, but we need it in all our spaces, in all our social justice struggles. We must be alert to say what sort of knowledge is there. I mean, the issue around knowledge justice did not exist before. I mean, as evidently as we have seen it. So I think that coming up as an issue to say there's an injustice. The internet is not neutral as we are made to think it is. It is not neutral at all. So I, I, I feel we have the warriors, you know, who are just coming up and saying, hey, pause. We need to watch. We need to do our research. We need to, to start really thinking. What are we consuming? Why are we being fed what we are being fed? Where are the women? Where are the African women? Where are the women of color? Where are the voices? Who are they? Why is it that we never hear, we never see? We So I, I feel the, having that, that sort of like realization but building a movement around that is so powerful. It is so timely. And I think more than anything, we need to, to put more of our ideas and to start making the intersections with other movements because our future is digital, but we have no space to be thinking about what we want it to be. There are people who are shaping that for us. They are not on the continent. They are not feminist. They are not human rights conscious. But it's to feed and to say, what should the future look like? To ensure that they maintain the status quo. To ensure that they maintain their power. They maintain their influence. They maintain their circle. And they continuously erase us. So I am thinking, wow, we need more uh, DTI. We need DTI to be really centered because who's talking about self-care and the digital uh, space? So much about the digital economy. Who is breaking it down for us to really understand the whole sophistication? But to go in there and to know who is in there, how do we influence from within how do we influence from outside? How do we collectively um, learn and get to do something? So for me, what I like about it is we are doing something. You know, it's beyond just doing the protest. But I think it's having more forward to say, yes, we are going in. We are going into Wikipedia. We are going in. We are going to change. We are going to create the content. We are going to shift the narrative. We are going to document the unheard voices and we are going to code. We are going to create what works for us, what we want. We are going to challenge, collectively come together and say, we want 
the space, the digital space, to be safe. And when we say we are not feeling safe, it's valid for us to say that. We need the protection from, obviously, from the governments. We need the policies. But this is what we mean. So it's one, what I like about it is to say, we can actually demonstrate to say this is what safety should be like. If we want to have solutions, this is what the solution should be like. And then we code it and then we use it, you know. So I think for me that's a way of organizing, but very timely because the digital is real. Artificial intelligence is real. It's here. And we cannot afford because of the red race to have that space to dream, to imagine, to talk, and to put it. And the owners who obviously make sure that we stay that way, we stay busy, we stay disrupted, our work is not validated, so they will never invest in us. You can never dismantle the master's house with a tool, like what Audre Lorde always says. But we need to have our own. But just having that, I think for me, I'm like, wow, how can we just be and be allowed to have a space where we can really start thinking? Because there are people way ahead of us, millions and they'll say, oh, no, we, we just take his. It's not even about the money. But they are creating a future where we will be there. And if we are not careful, it will be even worse in terms of the injustice and the iniquity that, that we are feeling now. I think you really mentioned something important because we can't constantly talk about the digital inclusion without also factoring in the digital safety because we've realized that the internet is not safe for especially women of color. So even as we continue to decolonize the internet, I feel like we also need to highlight these challenges that women of color are facing on the internet and how can we protect or even have laws that, you know, punish people who uh, make the internet space unsafe for women. So maybe that's a discussion we can continue to have and, you know, continue talking about it. Because like I said, it's not a one-week discussion. It's not a one-month discussion. This is something we'll continue to talk about as long as the internet continues to grow. And it's already making the world a very small, small place, you know. So that's my, my addition to this. I actually just want to go back to some of the things you're talking about in terms of dreaming up what a feminist internet could look like and be like, especially looking at how the space has grown in leaps and bounds since, you know, you were talking about it before. And maybe you could give our listeners one or two clear takeaways, just small things, big things, medium-sized things, that you would be taking away from the DTI conference, the conversations, the lunchtime, laughter, the after conference drinks, <laughs> any, any small or big things you would be taking away from here? I think for me it's the solidarity. Just knowing that 
we have the power. We still have the power within and just to connect our struggles. So I think from here, I'm, I'm taking out a lot, a lot of comfort, just knowing that, you know, I can always reach out to you. I can reach out to Kerubo. I can always reach out to even my sisters across in Latin America, our sisters organizing in North America. It doesn't matter with the, 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 the geographic distance, but I think just having that sense of community, to say there's a community which is seeing what we are seeing, but also a community that is working to make us see what is invisible. I'm taking away the avatar. I really love that avatar to say our imagination should transcend our fight for daily bread. Just having that space to say one day, I should be sleeping and thinking, oh, this avatar, this feminist avatar in this digital space, this is what it's doing or this is what we want it to do. So I, I, I just also take out that space just to expand and just allow us to say, listen, you can do this. Um, so I think for me, those are the small little nuggets that I'm saying, like, no matter your community, no matter where you are, you know, you, you still have the power to say, imagine what an app or what sort of information we could give for young girls to, you know, to find safety or to reach out or to get information. Who can do it? So memory, some of your takeaways speak so beautifully to the conversations happening at DTI, especially around how through colonialism, a, a function of it was to remove us from a sense of community. It was a divide and conquer rule where different ethnicities, different language groups, different races of people were made to be enemies and not in community with each other as we were possibly perhaps during pre-colonial days and how a kind of individualism has developed as a result. So spaces of connection such as DTI are even more important just by being together, by sharing the work we're doing, by laughing together, by having that sense of solidarity that you are not alone in this and this is a community that does exist and that you belong in the fullness of all your identities is such an important way of also decolonizing. It's giving substance to that term where it's not just a buzzword, but it's something you do through practice as we've been doing for the past few days. Absolutely. Um, I think in the recent days, we've heard a lot of um, decolonizing this, decolonizing that. But I think in the past two days uh, with DTI, it has been the practice of coming together and just having that sense of, you know, this is what we can do and actually doing it. And I think it's, um, well, what is interesting is this is something that I, I really feel whose knowledge has been doing for a long time in terms of, you know, this has been the agenda and working together with FemNet, 
and bringing us collectively into the space, I think for me it's, it's, it's been phenomenal in terms of um, having that way of, of being because I feel the, the colonial agenda still persists in ways that may not be as, um, as obvious to, to us, but it's still insidious because it, its roots have not been uprooted. In fact, we're talking about the undersea cable, who owns them, the satellites. So if the whole infrastructure is still owned by the colonialists and there's no, there's no impetus for, for, for that transfer. So people talk about justice. Yes, you've had your independence. But what, what is happening to this whole new way of, of being colonized again? in ways which are insidious, they might not look obvious, but the whole issue around how our minds are being trained, our minds are being programmed in a certain way, which has no much respect or space for who we are as Africans, for who we are as women, you know, in all our diversity so that that we are we are being fed to like something to like a certain way of living to crave for that, and for me that that's that's when we talk about decolonial. How do we decolonize that? Our diversity, our creativity, our colors, our culture. I mean, look at how our languages are nowhere. So there's going to be a whole population which will be forced to speak the language that the internet speaks, right? No translation, nothing. So that's already excluding. And how do we start thinking of still preserving that? Because it's so important for us to still say, this is who we are as we are. But if there is an agenda to have that as it was pre-colonial, so... We know pre-colonial, everything that we practiced was all being centered to be, it's either evil or this is not the way it should be. This is the culture that we should all thrive to be. So it's the same way where we see this is how you should dress, even our bodies. This is how our bodies should be. As women, you should aim to have this Eurocentric slim, but our bodies are not like that. They are so different. But we are being fed to a certain way of dressing. This is how you should dress. This is how you should talk. This is how the language you should use and everything. Where is that diversity? Where is that richness that we we embowed? And where is that Ubuntu that we are? How do we, you know, continuously preserve that and authenticate that? So I think the last two days has given us, re-energized us to say, hey, if we are talking about it, if we are practicing, we are demonstrating it, then we are up to something really big. So for me, DTI is really, it's a continuum. I think Sylvia mentioned it. We are continuing in terms of really impacting, really moving forward and 
being more aware. I think there's nothing as beautiful as coming out of a space where you feel, hmm, I've learned so much, where you have that anger inside of you still to say, I need to continue with this struggle. I need to stand in solidarity. But just understanding certain things has been amazing. I mean, the statistics are just like, what? The statistics which exist of how women of color are not even there on online, yet we don't even have data in terms of out of those women of color, how many are Africans, you know. So there is still huge data gaps in terms of even the analysis that we need. So it's one thing to be erased. It's also another thing to say there's absolutely no information, you know. The analysis will probably just gets to here, but there's still need for deeper um, analysis and also really knowing. So, yeah, it's, it's that sense of, hmm, I know this. This is why I'm fighting for knowledge justice. This is why we, need, we do the things that we do. This is what keeps us awake. This is what we, we know we are contributing to. You know, we go in... We put in a woman on wiki. And yeah, they will be remembered. They will be known. We are building the knowledge, our knowledge. So thank you so much, Memory, for sharing with us your experiences, not only at DTI, but just all of the journeys you've taken to get to the space. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to the conversation to let our listeners know? Well, I think to say feminist techies are human, amazing beings, and that um, digital tech is, is something that we should embrace. We should really lean um, into knowing more about. But I also wanted to say how the pandemic really laid bare some of the widening digital gap in terms of how most of us were being forced to recalibrate um, to embrace the use of digital platforms. So this is something which we now know, um, despite the... It's something that is a reality for us. But we know that we still have a lot of challenges like unstable connectivity, unreliable, the limited electricity access, the how it's very expensive, the very unsafe platforms with targeted online violence against women and girls as well, issues around cyberbullying, and also just the privacy breaches as well, how unsafe the digital space and the digital platform. I think this was really exposed and still continues uh, to come out. And also not to mention that close to 3 million people of the global population still remain unconnected in the digital world including persons with disability whose access to some of the information still remains as, as a huge, huge, huge gap. So I think for me, DTI, being here in Lusaka, the two and a half days, we've been able to deeply reflect, to have candid conversations, to be unapologetic in terms of debunking what it will take to decolonize the internet, and that um, this is, for us, 
and for all of us, for our community, in all our diversities, how do we make sure that the we include marginalized communities? We also include those whose voices are silent, those whose voices and traditions and way of being is not recorded anyway. And I think as Femnet, we have also strengthened our partnership with Whose Knowledge, but with amazing feminists from East Africa, from Southern Africa, who were here uh, for this DTI in terms of coming together and really persistently challenging the neoliberal, the patriarchal culture in the technology industry, including um, together coming and saying, let's do this collectively. Let's decolonize um, the internet collectively. And I think I just want to end and say, we should continuously ask ourselves whose voices, whose faces, whose stories are missing from the internet, whose knowledge is, not knowledge, but knowledges are being represented on the internet and whose are not. Whose internet, whose rights, whose freedoms are we really defending? And what does decolonizing the internet mean for us all as African feminists, as feminists um, who are there to fight for the injustice, knowledge injustice, fight for access and fight for equality in terms of the digital space. Thank you. Asante, Lean, Kerubo, great conversations. Hey! Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for joining us for the Femininja podcast. We really believe and trust that you have enjoyed our conversations and they have pricked some thinking, some, some, some kind of wanting to find out more about feminism, about patriarchy, and what is the role for each one of us in detonating patriarchy and proudly and boldly claiming ourselves as feminists. So stay tuned, keep following us, engage with us on Feminine website www.femnet.org Thank you. You can follow Whose Knowledge on Twitter at Whose Knowledge.